Please fasten your seatbelts and don't adjust your dial. You're turning left in Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 27 for February 19th, 2018, episode 27 of Left in Oklahoma, formerly Pointing Left. I don't know how much longer I'm going to have to say that. What do you think? Let me know. Um, This is your host, Serena Blaze, with your usual pondering questions of, how do I do this again? Am I on? Anyway, welcome. I'm going to try to keep this one shorter for you than recent episodes, Uh, not just for you, for me, because it's already Monday afternoon and yikes! Since we'll be shortcutting, please be sure to check out the episode page at OklahomaActivist.com for links to the full stories that we refer to, the event signups, and other resources that I am going to be mentioning. Now, uh... Today, I will continue to follow what's happening in the legislature, or what's not not happening, as the case may be. And the trick, the trick, of course, is to keep working and lobbying in the face of the stalemates and misguided policy efforts up there. But good news, there are groups on that, uh, working on that, and giving the rest of us hope, so we do not, we do need to stay vigilant and active and not lose heart and give up. That, that will just help ensure the goal of the right is realized. A dead, tired, physically and mentally exhausted citizenry who won't block or delay the drive for more campaign money, influence, and their path to more power. So that's what we focus on here on Left in Oklahoma, certainly during the February through May legislative session. So bear with me. I will try to make it as interesting as I can. And this week, we have some events that are all about citizen advocacy, uh, featuring Moms Demand Action, Let's Fix This, and the Oklahoma Conference of Churches. These are events you can and should participate in in the next couple of weeks. Now, in the past week, as you know, we've had yet another major school massacre in the U.S., and I'm not going to discuss it much this time. I do hope to have someone from Moms Demand Gun Sense next week or very soon to see what's being planned in Oklahoma in terms of gun control and awareness. I do want to make sure you are aware that there are chapters of that organization active in Oklahoma City, Tulsa and Norman for sure and they have meetings coming up that you should try to attend. This is not an easy issue in Oklahoma but what progressive issue is right? So this this now comes down to really the lives of our children versus the NRA. It's that simple. It's a stark contrast so pick a side and work like hell to restore sanity. Now, Mother Demands, uh, Moms Demand Action's um, Advocacy Day at the Capitol 
is going to be on February 27th, so please mark that calendar. We need a huge turnout for that. There are gun legislation bills we need our representatives to, um, to pass. And there, if you are in the Tulsa area or if you uh, are out east, have uh, friends out that way, there is going to be a bus sponsored from Tulsa to get here to the Capitol for this event. And the time is, uh, let's see, where do I have that? Hang on one second. Let me switch pages here. Okay, that's going to be the 27th at 10 a.m., Again, please RSVP at the link that we will give you on the, um, on the episode page. Now, um, on, oh, also the meme of the week this week is uh, looking at how things would be different if guns were regulated as much as cars. So check that out and share it around. All right, so some other upcoming events. Let's fix this as having their day at the Capitol, what they call a day at the Capitol for regular folks. And that will be um, February 22nd at 9 a.m. And here's what they say about it. Uh, This is a day for regular folks like you and me to take some time off of work and actually meet face-to-face with our state legislators about whatever issues you care most about. So um, let's fix this is they don't have a particular agenda in terms of topic areas. What they focus on is getting people uh, uh, more active, uh, being citizen advocates, going to the legislature, lobbying with uh, representatives and senators, just being more involved and engaged in the political process. So they don't have an agenda per se. Um, most of those folks are quite progressive, so you don't have to worry about that. Now, they do also say uh, that that day, February 22nd, it's, it's kind of an, an all-day thing. I'll give you the agenda in a second. But they, they point out that this is not a rally. It's more of a group outing. And it's really good if you've never been to the Capitol, if you're intimidated about being a, a citizen lobbyist and, and going and talking to legislators, this is the event for you because it, it they turn out a good crowd Uh, Your chances of being alone to visit any of those uh, folks is practically uh, nil. So you'll have people to hold your hand um, and in some cases do the speaking for you, but they do give you a lot of tips on how to engage, how to speak about issues, how how to really form your thoughts into a statement to your legislator that can be effective. So really, really good event for for newbies. I I strongly encourage you to go. So here's the rough schedule of what they're doing that day. Uh, So 9 a.m., they're going to meet and greet as a group, and that will be on the second floor in the Blue Room. And I believe that's off to the, on the east side of the building. Uh, and then 9.15 a.m., a few legislators that they've arranged to come in will speak to the, uh, the gathered group. At 10 a.m., they will start visiting legislators' offices, and then they will go observe the House and Senate sessions. If they're, in, if, they're, if they're on the floor in session, they will sit in the gallery and watch for a little while, which is 
pretty interesting. Then at noon, they are giving you an hour and a half for lunch on your own and will regather at 1.30 to again visit legislators' offices, observe the House and Senate if they're in session, and then you can leave whenever you'd like. Now, obviously, if you can only come in the afternoon, do that. Come after lunch and, and go visit. They'll have folks there the whole time that will really help you Find who your legislator is if you need that help. Find their office, which is always a little bit of a challenge, and uh, form form your statement about whatever it whatever issues you care about. They might have some information there about some issues that are currently being discussed to help you figure that out. Um, they're all about helping out the newly um, newly energized activists. So don't let any of that keep you back. Now, just if you've, again, never been to the Capitol, they are advising that, and these are, these are kind of generic instructions for any event at the Capitol during the legislative session, unless you're told otherwise. And that is you park in either the South lot, which is the big lot in the middle of Lincoln Boulevard, just south of the Capitol, or in the East lot, which is next to the governor's mansion. And if you park on the south lot, you come in through the south entrance and there is a um, security detail there. So you will um, put your purse or uh, keys or whatever uh, through the scanner and or you can uh, uh, go through the east lot, uh, park in the east lot and go through the east uh, entrance. Same deal. Okay, so once once you're there, what to expect? And this is again from Let's Fix This Facebook event page. You can expect a bunch of regular folks just like you, most of whom have never done this kind of thing, but who care deeply for the future of this great state. You can expect a lot of smiles and name tags and bright red Lex fix this button because we're all in this together and we want our legislators to know who we are. You can expect to meet some new people and have some conversations. It'll be relaxed and fun and probably really interesting. And at the end of the day, you can expect to feel ridiculously awesome because you did something that the other 4 million people in the state didn't have the courage to do. You showed up. And as an added bonus, you probably also make some new friends. They also say how to prepare. One, first of all, don't be nervous. Everyone is always nervous talking to their representatives, but remember, they work for you. In fact, if you want to be technical, you own the building. Two, find out who your representatives are, and you can do that online by entering your address at the link, and we'll, we'll put that on the post page, and find your words. Decide which issues are most important to you, describe your connection to the issue, and what solutions to the problem you support. All right, so that's the uh, February 22nd Let's Fix This event for advocating at the Capitol. Now we're going to have one on February 26th, and it is, uh, it is organized by the Oklahoma Conference of Churches. It is their annual day at the legislature, Monday, February 26th, again, starting at 8.30. It's all-day deal until 4:45, but of course uh, whatever part of that you can engage in 
they have at the beginning they have uh, a couple of great speeches that are very informative and motivating and i've been to one of you know those in the past uh and that's uh always interesting the uh then they split up and they go do the lobbying they have a lunch off off the site of off the capitol campus and another place, uh, another church uh, nearby that, so they're, what they're encouraging you to do is register for that so you can be part of the, the meal and everything else and get a seat at the keynote address and all of that good stuff. Again, uh, Monday, February 26th, we'll have the link to all of that on our post page. And um, you can also find out more about the Oklahoma Conference of Churches at okchurches.org and I will just uh, note for clarification I'm not involved with this group I'm not actually religious I'm I'm actually an atheist but um, I I I don't have any problem with people who are religious as long as they don't try to make me follow their um, their beliefs and I in fact have for most of my adult life worked with various progressive religious organizations, including the American Friends Service Committee, uh, Mennonite groups, and others that are extremely progressive. And we have to remember that not all religious people are conservative, not even here in Oklahoma. There's a very good group um, of folks at the Oklahoma Conference of Churches. Um, uh, It's a coalition of uh, of religious organizations that for the most part are very socially progressive, uh, uh, very liberal on social justice, economic justice issues. Not every progressive issue, but most of them. So there's that caveat. Also on February 27th, the Our Revolution Oklahoma organization has a meeting of their ballot initiative committee, and that will be at 6.30 at the Change Oklahoma office at 2517 North Western Avenue in Oklahoma City. They are, they are doing the work in that organization of, of um, creating and supporting grassroots initiatives, which are an opportunity to get progressive policy passed when our legislature won't do it. Now, of course, many ballot initiatives have gotten on the ballot from grassroots efforts, some of them good, some of them bad. But for instance, the one we're gonna be voting on this summer uh, on medical marijuana, that came from a grassroots initiative. So it is possible to get those done with progressive ideas. And that's what this group is all about. And they're talking about some specific ideas uh, to begin working on, but they need help, uh, as do all the groups mentioned. But but this this is a particularly interesting opportunity, I think. Again, I'm as I mentioned in the past, I am involved with the Our Revolution Oklahoma organization personally. You can find out more at ourrevolutionok.com. And just to uh, jump ahead uh, in the future a little bit on our calendar, they will be having an event on March 6th, what they're calling a burnstorm for State Question 788, that medical marijuana initiative. And we'll have more specific info about that in the next episode. 
All right, so those are the events uh, that I've got for you. Now let's look at some headlines. Let's just go over a few things that have happened in the last week, not comprehensive by any means, but some things that just stuck out for me that I wanted to briefly talk about. All right, so first of all, we've got um, another hullabaloo around uh, Scott Pruitt, Oklahoma's own Scott Pruitt, who is now the chief, uh, the head of the uh, Environmental Protection Agency. And this is a story that is from Common Dreams, commondreams.org. And the headline is, amid criticism over first-class flights, Pruitt cancels trip, faces calls for accountability. And basically, you know, we've been having several stories in the past about Scott Pruitt's lavish travel around the world, always traveling first class, just wasting taxpayer money, environmental groups who, of course, oppose what he's doing in the EPA in general, but they are using this scandal to seek his ouster and good for them. I, appre- I, uh, I support that effort. Now, um, so just to comment about this, because I was thinking, you know, of course, we've known Pruitt here in Oklahoma. Uh, He was attorney general and was pretty, pretty awful. But it's been interesting to see him going to the federal level. And it seems to have provoked or maybe just exposed a real issue in his personality namely extreme paranoia. I, I don't think all these stories about his fear of interaction with average people, fear of being overheard because he's installed some kind of privacy barrier in his EPA office to the tune of, of hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't think any of that is going to be helpful in his future political endeavors. And we know he does have them. They make him look very weird by any standard. And for the rest of us in Oklahoma, it's just, it's, an, it's another continually embarrassing person who shames us every time he's in the news, right? And I, I was thinking further that, you know, this is why it's really important to vote in every election, first of all, but pay attention to those smaller elections because, you know, these crazy people run for, for lower rank offices and then move up the levels of, of power. And it would be way better, you know, if we pre- prevented them from getting into those lower, I don't care if it's dog catcher, but you think, you know, you you think, what damage can they do in that little office? Well, it's just a stepping stone. So the message I'm, I'm trying to convey is pay attention to these, to all races, all races of every level. They're all important. And um, some of the people that later go on to do horrendous damage to, to our, our constitution, our democracy, start, all of them start somewhere on the lower level. So anyway, just a heads up about that. Okay, here's another story. Also a bit on the national level, but it's got a local connection because it's by Sarah K. Burris, who used to live here in Oklahoma. And this is, she works at Raw Story now. So this is a story posted at Raw Story on February 15th. And the title is, 
Trump is proposing cutting 248 weather forecasters from Tornado Alley, and red state Oklahoma is freaking out. That's, that's the headline, yes. Now, I'm not actually sure if, if red state Oklahoma is freaking out widely yet, but maybe they will the next time a twister comes across their property without any warning from the defunded weather service. You know, it, it seems to take that kind of personal impact to get some folks to realize that government is not their enemy. Anyway, let's hope not because it's not just the Tea Party that would be hurt in that case. Obviously, the weather service and all the technology involved and really good people um, staffing it is very important and needs to be paid for. Gutting it is a ridiculous idea along with, you know, 5,000 other ridiculous ideas that are coming out of the Trump administration. All right. Next uh, story in our headline overview is from Free Press Oklahoma City, freepressokc.com, by Brett Dickerson, titled Capital View Starts Strong Neighborhoods Initiative with Robust Ideas, and it was filed on February 16th. And this is about a grant from the Housing and Urban Development uh, uh, Agency uh, to two neighborhoods in Oklahoma City. And this is looking at the uh, Capital View neighborhood. So here's the story that Brett posted, or the beginning of it. It was the Capital View neighbors' turn to start brainstorming ideas for their Strong Neighborhoods Initiative grant Thursday. They are one of two neighborhoods that have been designated recipients of federal housing and urban development money, along with the City of Oklahoma City staff efforts to help revitalize their neighborhood. The grant will provide seed money for the revitalization of streets, sidewalks, streetscapes, as well as parks and community services as developed in a process that involves the neighbors themselves. Capital View is just to the north and east of the Oklahoma Capitol Complex. Now the story continues. I'll let you find it uh, and continue reading that. Um, but that area of Oklahoma City has been ignored by lawmakers um, for far too long, and thank goodness we are getting these funds to pump in there before Trump and Ben Carson, who's now the head of HUD, can end that program too. And again, about government, remember that federal money just means money that we have paid in taxes that are coming back to our own state and communities. All of that can begin the process of equalizing the resources across the metropolitan area that our own local leaders don't seem to have the wisdom to do. Moving on, this is a story from the Oklahoma Policy Institute, okpolicy.org, filed by Ryan Gensler on February 19th, titled, SQ 780 is already reshaping Oklahoma's justice system. Oklahoma has long been among the most punitive states in the country for drug crimes. For years, severe mandatory minimums and tough-on-crime attitudes contributed to simple drug possession being the most common charge for state prison admissions. In 2016, 
fed-up Oklahomans passed SQ-780, reclassifying simple drug possession as a misdemeanor and taking away the possibility of prison time for those whose most serious crime was having a controlled substance for personal use. That law went into effect on July 1, 2017, and is already reshaping Oklahoma's justice system. An analysis of court records by OK Policy shows that the number of felony cases filed across the state dropped by 26% in the second half of 2017 compared to the same period in 2016. This change was accompanied by a smaller but still significant rise in misdemeanor cases filed. Together, these trends suggest that the law is working as intended, as simple drug possession cases, one of the most common charges in Oklahoma's district courts, are now being charged as misdemeanors rather than felonies. And again, you can continue reading that story at OK Policy, along with their fantastic charts and graphs that I always enjoy. Also on the topic of criminal justice reform, we have this story from Public Radio Tulsa, and their website is publicradiotulsa.org. Title is Score, A Scorecard for Criminal Justice Reform, and it's written by Ben Botkin uh, for Oklahoma Watch and filed on February 18th. Uh, he says, about a dozen new and holdover bills that would overhaul Oklahoma's criminal justice system are in the legislative pipeline. Although it's too early to tell, there are indications the bills have momentum. In her State of the State address, Governor Mary Fallon again endorsed bills recommended by the Oklahoma Criminal Justice Reform Task Force and urged, quote, send them to me to sign, unquote. House Speaker Charles McCall later assured, Criminal justice bills will move forward. So that's good news coming out of the legislature. Don't, don't get to say that too often. Continue reading that story for, um, for all the details. It go bill by bill what the chances are, where they are in the process, and um, give, you a, uh, give you a chance to get uh, aware of them so that you can be engaged in helping to move them along in the process through the advocacy you learned from those organizations we talked about earlier. So these, this is, I think that uh, it's a great start on criminal justice reform. We still have a ways to go. We the people need to continue contacting our legislators uh, and that should be in person, by phone, or with a personal letter to push them to vote correctly. They're they're being lobbied every minute um, and in very enticing ways, let me put it that way, by forces that support the status quo or basically wanted to go in the other direction. Now, another huge step that could solve our many criminal justice problems in Oklahoma is to pass another state question with a huge majority, and this time the number is 788. It's on the ballot this June 26, and it will allow medical marijuana in Oklahoma with a prescription. And there are uh, several activist organizations that are conducting uh, awareness and get out the vote efforts, and you should get registered and informed and prepared to help get this passed. I'd also notice uh, note that the um, 
The gubernatorial campaign of former state Senator Connie Johnson is also spearheading awareness on this issue. She having been a champion on general decriminalization of, uh, of marijuana uh, cannabis in Oklahoma for many years now. Uh, so uh, that's worth checking out and supporting. The results of the 780 reforms here in Oklahoma and other states demonstrates very clearly that the war on drugs is an abject failure and it needs to be reversed and replaced. Um, repeal and replace the war on drugs with truly smart and fact-based uh, policy. We have to drop the myths and stigmatization if we are going to solve the very real problems we have with um, in our society, okay? Get smart, that's all I'm saying. And that's the basic message to all the legislators. You could crystallize it into one, into two words, get smart. All right, here's the last story uh, in the news headlines. Um, Non-Christian denominations could be shut out of house chaplain program. And I'm getting this story. It was widely reported, but this story is from OklahomaWatch.org. It was written by Trevor Brown. It files February 16th. And I'm picking up a few segments from it. You can read the whole thing, of course, and I um, uh, encourage you to do so. Representative Chuck Strom, a Republican from Jinx, who is the State House of Representatives Chaplain Coordinator, sent a letter at the beginning of the year asking that legislators only nominate a faith leader from the representative's own place of worship to be the House's Chaplain of the Week or Chaplain of the Day. But, the apparent restriction on who may lead the prayer during the daily address has prompted concerns that many religions would be left out since the house is dominated by members of the Christian faith. Shannon Fleck, director of community engagement for the Oklahoma Conference of Churches, which represents 600,000 members from Protestant, Roman Catholic, Episcopal, and historically black churches, said the policy is troubling because she is not aware of any Muslim or Jewish lawmakers. She said many Christian denominations also have little or no representation. It's a quote from her. Um, uh, Quote, by limiting legislators to pull from their individual faith traditions for legislative chaplains, the opportunity has been stripped from our elected officials to have any exposure to the vast and beautiful religious practices that make up this great state. And that's something she wrote in a February 1 letter to Strom. Additionally, she goes on to say, those who practice religions other than the majority in Oklahoma are being told their voices do not matter, their religion is less important, and they are being actively and succinctly shut out. In other words, and this is my comment, effectively enacting a state religion. So going on with this, this article, Fleck said it is possible that the policy, one she wasn't aware of previously, was in response to Representative Jason Dunnington, a Democrat from Oklahoma City, nominating Islamic Society of Greater Oklahoma City Imam Ahmad Inchasi to be chaplain of the day last year. 
Fleck said she has heard various excuses, quote unquote, why Inchasi's chaplaincy request was not approved, but there hasn't been an official response. Inchasi said he was informed he was nominated in January 2017 to be the daily chaplain and didn't learn he was rejected until months later. He said he received zero answers from Strom regarding why he was rejected, leading him to believe it was because of his faith. Inchasi said he planned to not go public with his story, but then he found out about the letter Strom sent asking that representatives' nominations come from their own places of worship. Quote, I checked with all the rabbis, and there are zero Jewish representatives in this building, the state capitol. And, of course, we have no Muslim representation in this building, or Buddhist either. Unquote. He said that following a sermon on tolerance and discrimination during Friday's interfaith Juma prayer day at the capitol. Do you know that what that means, he said? It means we're not welcome. Calls to Dunnington Strom and House Speaker Charles McCall, a Republican from Atoka, were not returned Friday. Representative George Young, a Democrat from Oklahoma City, who was a senior pastor at Holy Temple Baptist Church, said he didn't find out about Strom's guidance until last week. Young said he was disturbed by a policy that would effectively block many faiths from speaking to the legislature and called it divisive. But Young said he has plans to see how serious Strom is about the guidelines as he intends to nominate Inchasi to be chaplain of the day this session. And if he turns me down, Young said, he's going to tell me why. House rules state that the chaplain must attend the start of each day's session of the House and open with a prayer. Chaplains also are given up to five minutes during the Thursday session to deliver remarks. Strom's letter explaining the program says chaplain requests will be processed as they are received and scheduling and participation will be based on a first-come, first-served basis. He also wrote that requests for exceptions to the guidelines will be, quote, handled on an individual basis, unquote. Yeah, I bet they will. The the Reverend Lori Walkie, who is on the board of directors of the Interfaith Alliance Foundation of Oklahoma, said even a suggested policy can have a chilling effect on the voices lawmakers hear. Walkie of the Mayflower Congregational Church in Oklahoma City said she has concerns whether it's proper for religious leaders of any sect leading a legislative body in prayer to start the session in the first place. But she said if the program exists, it should be inclusive as possible. Quote, right now, they are really limiting what voices can be heard, even among Christians. But there are many voices and faiths that deserve to be heard. Unquote. And that's the end of the story. And I'll just personally add, I agree with Walkie. I just assume there not be a chaplaincy program, program at the Capitol at all. But as long as there is one, it can't favor one religion over another. To me, this is the same principle that got the Ten Commandments statue uh, removed a couple of years ago from the Capitol grounds uh, through a long process that ended up with a court order. Uh, The religious right is still screaming about that, but unless they want to have statues of uh, Vishnu, uh, 
uh, Baphomet, the Flying Spaghetti Monster, whatever, as well as as their religious icon, they can't constitutionally do so. And that's really uh, the end of the story as it has been in court case after court case, though they do, they do keep trying. All right, so um, finishing up with the news, moving on to, this is a little feature about uh, a newer, well, it's not a new organization. It's actually just new to me. Um, And it's called um, Hunger Free Oklahoma. And I found this story about them at TulsaPeople.com. And this is by Judy Langdon, and it's called What You Need to Know About Childhood Hunger in Oklahoma. She says, Hunger-Free Oklahoma, an advocacy organization, is approaching its second anniversary in 2018. The organization works to end hunger through research, policymaking, and collaboration with nonprofit schools and state and local government agencies to ensure communities have the information and tools to end hunger. According to hungerfreeok.org, nearly one in four Oklahoma children, 24%, is food insecure, meaning they have limited or inconsistent access to adequate food. Food insecure children have lower reading and math scores, more significant behavior and social problems, and lower high school graduation rates. Hunger costs Oklahoma more than $1.4 billion, that's billion with a B, annually because of increased illness and decreased academic achievement. 22.7% of Tulsa County children are food insecure. Oklahoma is number one in the U.S. for its extensive coverage and use of the child nutrition programs in the statewide Every Student Succeeds Education Plan. However, funds are underutilized because people don't know about the available programs. Oklahoma leaves $400 million, $400 million in unclaimed federal funds on the table each year for nutritional programs. 80% of all TPS students are eligible for free and reduced lunch. Breakfast and lunch were served to children at 128 sites during the summer of 2017. 53 TPS, that's of course uh, Tulsa Public Schools, 53 Tulsa Public Schools elementary schools representing 62% of schools in the district participate in the community eligibility provision for free breakfast and lunch to all students as of November 2017. The CEP allows high-need schools to offer school meals at no cost to all students. So again, um, that is hungerfreeok.org. You can go there, get involved, donate, uh, and also check out their really ingenious logo. I really like it. Um, I'm kind of a logo snob, <laughs> and I think that one's really clever. So uh, go check that out. And I just wanted to point out, you know, this hunger situation. This is a state where the majority, the vast majority, purport to be pro-life. 
and that this level of need in children is allowed to exist to me that just belies that claim i mean you just you just don't have any right to claim that label uh with this kind of of need um and it's not that we don't have the money for this or anything else it's that we don't have our priorities right a budget is a moral document i think the reverend william barber said that moral budget is a moral document and this is a dramatic illustration of what he means we see the same thing with the problems for school funding in our state while uh, the big oil and gas companies get tax break after tax break. All right, so the end of my little soapbox there, um, that's where, uh, as we draw this episode to a close, I do want to say that I saw Black Panther on Saturday. It is an awesome superhero movie, but it is so much more. Get out and see it on the big screen. The bigger, the better, and you will have fun as well as advance the careers of talented people of color in Hollywood and across the entertainment industry. Wakanda forever! Until next time, this is Serena Blaze saying be well, be kind, be active. Bye-bye.